0: Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Will Willis, your host. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Tori Mercer. Tori Mercer. I always get that name wrong, but anyhow. Um, t- t- uh, Tori left a message after our show, or during our show yesterday, that really touched me, and it had a lot to do with the gun issues that we we're all discussing. But beforehand, welcome to Politics and Right, Tori. How are you doing today?
1: Great. It's such an honor to be on your show. I've been listening to you for years, and I just think you're The best, you know, especially back when KPFT used to have callers that would and people would call in that just didn't agree with you at all. And you were so gentle with them and, you know, led them through the Socratic dialectic that just implied that we're all one thing. We're all together. You know, we're all one people as opposed to some of these other political uh commentators that where they're just in a fight they're just they want to draw lines between people and separate people and you want to bring people together and it's just very positive
0: thank you very much for that but that that's what i think my my call that's what i want my calling to be and that is that we do that because you know people are you know my wife used to say people are people and she's right and you know we 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 have more in common in just about everything then apart, And the, the powers that be, they need to keep us separated if they want to succeed in pilfering us all. But I have, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, Tori, because <laughs> I've, I've listened to a lot of your poems, I've listened to some of your sort of rap stuff, and I really enjoy what you have to bring to the political discourse. So tell people what's your background.
1: Um, oh man, it's just, uh, it's all over the place. Uh, juvenile delinquent, uh, social studies teacher, uh, dirt bike rider, motorcycle guy, bicycle guy, um, uh, you know, working with, uh, fairly radical non Pueblo to People was, uh, my first career, uh, a non organization that worked with, uh, to import things from indigenous people in Latin America for the most part. We started the fair trade coffee movement in the U.S. back when Ronald Reagan was president. We flew plane loads of Nicaragua Sandinista coffee into Canada, roasted it in Canada, and then sold it in the U.S.A. with a a big F.U. to Ronald Reagan. Uh, (laughs) So we broke the embargo, and, and it's just been one thing after another after that. Pirate radio. We did a pirate radio here in Houston for 18 months. You know, eight hours a day of fresh public affairs. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of kids up there, you know, playing their old Who records. We were uh, doing so, and that's why we got away with it. You know, the FCC let us broadcast for 18 months because we were, you know, fulfilling uh, the duty of radio mm-hmm. to inform people. We had all kind of folks that were you know, KPFT programmers that had, uh, gotten, you know, kicked off and, um, uh, they're doing public affairs. They weren't making a lot of money, but, you know, solid public affairs programmers, many of which are back on the air now. Um, uh, but, um, uh, it's uh you know every kind of solidarity campaign uh, in Latin America when you know all the civil wars were going on down there you know you're from Panama, you already know what I'm talking about A- Nicaragua right. salvador you know, Guatemala said so, you know we had solidarity campaigns here in Houston, so that's my perspective uh never quite fit in with uh, you know the hardcore marxist Leninist kind of leftists. I was always more uh civil libertarian oriented. And uh been still solid socialist. So, you know, uh, not a lot of people over in my camp. So I've always had to work with, a, you know, other people, you know. Uh, uh, never found a lot of right ground with right-wingers, you know. can not worked with them too much. But, you know, all my friends in Houston are lefties. And then, you know, there's the artist side of, you know, a lot of punk rockers. Uh, originally, the original punk rock scene was very attractive to me. Because there was a lot of political bands and it just seemed like, you know, a continuation of the social activism kind of art that was going on in the 1960s. Since then, you know, punk rock has become, you know, just another cliche like everything else. So I'm always looking for a way to plug in, uh, you you know, and connect art and politics.
0: Well, I, I know you, you've been doing a good job, car, per, car Show and all these other places that you participate in. And of course, you're a historian, so um, you, you you know a whole lot about history. But let me tell you why I really wanted to speak to you. Uh, everybody has a position on the gun debate, but I, you know where I stand as far as bringing folks together, et cetera. You're, I read the first part of your very long comment in our show yesterday. And before reading the entire thing, I called you up and I said, <laughs> I want you on my show today to speak a little bit about that before I read the entire thing, because I could see (laughs) where it was going. And here's what you said. Countries with strong democracies have people that trust the government and feel safe. Americans left and right do not trust the government and do not feel safe. There is a direct correlation here with gun culture, how to fix America's gun problem Uh, let's break it down. Both sides in the gun debate do not feel safe. Both sides are afraid. And when I just, that's all I read. And by the way, it's about 20 times that length. But that's all I read. And then I said, you've got to come on to Politics Done Right and tell us about this. Because I I think people don't see the symmetry between what we call the crazy right wing and what we call the very left they all have grievances uh, Tori all have grievances but there, there's something at the core there and that is why isn't the government working for us all so go ahead and take it away
1: well you know um, I've been at this for a long time and I'm, uh, like I said, I'm I like to use analysis you know I took a CIA course at you know history the CIA at U of H Thomas O'Brien and you know it's all about analysis you know um you know whether no matter what you're doing in life you know you got to figure things out you're an engineer right it's all about analysis and uh so i find that increasingly that you know the whole left and right uh way of looking at the world just doesn't work anymore because it's the world's more complex than that and uh this and as you know we become one world, you know, it gets even more complex because there's, you know, so many different political systems and philosophies. And, uh, so it's, uh, you know, I don't think in terms of left and right anymore. Um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, how are we going to all kind of get on the same page? You know, we're trying to get through this dialectic, you know, we're trying to bring very disparate points of view together to be on the same page. And so um it's you know a lot about listening, it's a lot about analyzing. You know there's what people say and then there's the subtext. You know what does that mean in the analysis? You know as a poet, I like to put things into metaphors. And um when I hear the right wingers, you know, talk about gun rights, you know, and I'm not I'm thinking at the cultural level, the mass mm-hmm. level, not at the NRA level, which is basically a lobby group for the gun industry. And, you know, we know what they want. Lapierre, mm-hmm. They just want some money and they're going to get it. And, uh, uh, that's not the gun culture. Okay. The gun culture is the entire country before it was a country. And, uh, you know, guns were part of our safety, you know, when back when there was this, these single shot muskets, you know, there's, you know there's wolves outside you know and you got you know you got to go outside to go to the bathroom you know you gotta take your gun outside with you just to go to the bathroom you know it's about feeling safe and guns make us feel safe and that's from you know you know the get-go and so when uh i i see the right-wingers and we're what we call right-wingers and call gun nuts and you know gun culture people you know they're all about this uh what is it the second amendment um Right to bear arms. So we gotta break that down. Uh, what is that about? You know, it's not about hunting, it's about King George. And King George can represent both domestic and foreign enemies. You know, he was the king from another place, but he was also, you know, English, and all the colonists were English. He was a domestic problem before he was a foreign problem. And so, as a poet, I like to think of King George. You know, uh, you know, he's not mentioned in the Constitution, but, you know, the Second Amendment's all about King George. And that just represents authoritarianism. You know, it represents the antithesis of the ideal. Not that we've reached the ideal, but the ideal is a democratic, horizontal society. And King George, you know, represents authoritarianism, whether domestic, like Donald Trump, or whether foreign, like some, you know, autocratic system that might be imposed from without. And so uh uh and as a civil libertarian, you know, hardcore socialist, left-wing civil libertarian, you know, I you know, believe in vigilance. You know, also I'm a historian. And so, you know, I know that there's a lot of precedents for uh authoritarianism to pop up, you know, whether it's um You know the red scares you know from the 20s and 30s or you know during the civil wars where i became uh, enculturated and politicized the civil wars in uh, latin america during you know reagan and you know bush point one um i remember when there was some solid opposition to particularly what was going on in el salvador and you know this runs through the carter administration and there was rumors you know that there were detention camps being set up at military bases in the U S uh, four of them to hold 10,000 people each in case, just in case things really popped off and you know, there was mass, you know, civil disobedience and rebellion against U S foreign policy. You know, it never, you know, got to that point, but, um, it made a lot of people in the left, uh, back in the 1980s, think that hey maybe we should uh you know get some guns i never bought a gun i've never bought a gun in my life um but uh, uh i know people that did you know some other hardcore lefties buying automatic weapons and you know riot control shotguns and crazy stuff that's even that's illegal now um um <laughs> and uh one communist friend of mine bought a uh automatic shotgun and you know Uh, blew a hole in a roof of his house, and eventually those are illegal now. He had to give it up. But, uh, you know, we need regulation on guns. I mean, there's any number of ways to fix. I I want to stop
0: you right there, uh, Tori, for one thing, because what you've just showed me there is that you've showed that during the times where many on the left feel a certain level of threat, that amazingly your response wasn't all that different than some of these guys on the right, even though you and I know that their fear is really a false fear, but sure. that reaction was there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like people need to trust their government. You know, what's the difference between the USA and countries that have a lot of guns uh, that, you know, or, you know, don't have a lot of guns? Doesn't even matter, but, you know, democracies that people were... You know, think Nordic countries where people trust their government, mm-hmm. you know, things, you know, it's not just, a, it doesn't start with the gun issue and it doesn't start with the gun culture. It starts with social safety net, right. you know, people feeling safe, you know, that they're going to be able to get uh, a place to live and food and education and medical care and care when they're old and care for their children. You know, just
0: a sense of safety. You know, we don't have that in the USA. People. And, you know, <laughs> I wanted to interrupt for one reason, because, you know, we, we, we give the right a hard time now justifiably, but the, the parts of the right that we seem to me we really should give a hard time is the leadership that is that that's forcing that false narrative into those on the right to believe their culture is being usurped when we've always had a multicultural system, just that others are being empowered now. That somehow something is being taken away from them. That that their birthright is being taken away from them. When many a times the converse is true, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, I mean we're always we're constantly battling the past, right. and you know that's sort of the essence of the conservative mo- movement in the U.S. It starts with the Voting Rights Act and uh, the Civil Rights Act in 1964. You know, like black people are going to vote. Oh my gosh! I mean that you know. Triggered the biggest shift in this country. You know all those, you know, uh, Klansmen from the 1930s and uh, other folks that supported the New Deal and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I mean, they were the Democratic Party in the South, mm-hmm, the KKK right. ran the Southern Democratic Party. And it, you know, you know, to you know, here's our analysis. You know, it made the New Deal possible. And right. when you know, a lot of those Klansmen didn't go away by the 1960s when they were still Democrats. But they left the Democratic Party and went and became Republicans mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, their world was shifting into a, a new thing. They weren't used to, they just weren't ready for it. Right. And uh, uh, they weren't ready for the new world. And they wanted to conserve the old, you know, stratified, you know, social system where there's a subclass, you know, people that were below the
0: constitutionally protected, you know, legal system. Yeah, I like I like the way that you brought in and you remember I said I only read the first part, which is what I wanted to discuss and then how you brought in Chile and all the things that happened with Pinochet and Allende. What I really want to talk about right. now is what do you see as a solution with uh, the gun issues, with gun regulations, etc. How do you see a solution that both the left and the right will accept? Well, there's two fixes.
1: One is very long term and it's a cultural fix and it has to do and when we start with guns you start with providing people everything they need to feel safe you know the social safety net you know from cradle to grave and um you know it's a little more difficult here in this incredibly class stratified society that's multicultural you know it's a lot easier here than it is in switzerland okay i mean it's just like that's a long-term fix okay the short-term fix is to uh, basically satisfy the needs you know the deep needs what we would call the subtext of both of these signs, you know, the right-wingers we call them or the gun nuts and, you know, the, you know, progressives or just, you know, people that are afraid to send their kids out of their house because, you know, they, you know, they go to church or to school or to the mall and the kids are going to get shot, you know? So, uh, how do we, you know, deep listen to both of these sides and come up with some kind of legal solution as opposed to a cultural solution and so um you know when i hear you know the right wingers because you know i think that's who you know people on the progressive left need to listen to the most because you know we're too busy listening to ourselves and we understand what that problem is we understand what our needs are but in order to get to the solution and move this ball down the field we need to you know do some deep analysis of the right you know and i'm not talking about you know, the gun lobby and these people that are just exploiting the chaos, because there's no end to, you know, people that will exploit chaos for profit, they're not going to go away. But the people that are really concerned, you know, like these, you know, kind of right-wing veterans that listen to Fox Fox News, and uh, they've uh, been in the military, they've uh, uh, sworn an allegiance to the Constitution, and, uh, you know, they might not be scholars, so I'm kind of, energy. you know, kind of uh, interjecting a little bit here, but, you know, they're afraid of King George, you know, to use a metaphor. They're afraid of, you know, back in the 50s, it was, oh, the communists are going to take over the government, you know, and then uh, now it's like, uh, you know, now Bernie Sanders is going to take over the government, you know, who knows, you know, these you know their analysis isn't great, but, you know, they're basically, it goes back to a legal position of defending, uh, you know, using the Constitution, uh, which has us good points and bad points, but using that second amendment to basically say, you know, we need to be aware of authoritarianism. We need to be aware of overreach by, you know, our government or any other government, you know, and, you know, what they're really afraid of is gun confiscations, you know, doing something that's outside of their will and um, having a gun registry, okay? So uh, how do we, you know, get to a safe place and satisfy the progressives on the left and uh, satisfy everybody, the people on the right? How do we you know, get to a point where we have background checks and you know, safety insured, uh, you know, that somebody knows how to use a gun, it's not mentally unstable? Um, how do we do that without having a gun registry? And it's just not that complicated. You know, this isn't rocket science you know, um, and it has to do with what I call a gun purchasing license, okay, so, you know, it's like we have all kind of other licenses that uh, people need to acquire whenever they want to do anything, it's all about a level of trust, right, you know, whether you're going to teach children or do brain surgery, you have this license, you know, do electricity, whatever, Um, you know, it says that, you know, you were allowed to go out and do this job, and because we trust you, That's a license, and that's the legal thing, okay? We just need to separate that license uh, that, you know, says, we trust you to use a gun. We need to separate that from the actual purchase of a gun, okay? Now, people that sell guns have those licenses. I mean, people that have, uh, you know, gun stores, you know, they have to get a license from the government that says, you know, we trust you to sell these guns, and they have to, like, you know, do their due diligence and, uh, um, you know, make sure they're not, you know, doing illegal things with their guns, you know, selling them to, you know, overseas or whatnot. Um, and so just, uh, it's that simple. Uh, we separate the license to buy a gun from buying a gun. You know, you get a license to drive a car. It doesn't mean your car is registered. You don't have to buy a car. You just need, you know, you get a license to drive. The government says, we trust you to drive a car. And, uh, then imagine if when you went to buy a car, you had to show that license and you can't buy a, a car without a license that shows, you know, you can drive safely, but there's no connection between the purchase of the car and the license. You know, you're not registered, um, and so that's how a, a, a gun purchasing license would work. It would basically just extend the license from a gun dealer to a gun owner, uh, except, um, you know, there's no connection You you know, by law, the gun uh, sellers, you know, would not be able to register you as the purchaser of the gun.
0: If I understand your concept is but you have to qualify for the license, which means that license would make sure that you are mentally competent, that you haven't beaten your wife, that you haven't done all of these things. And once you prove that you're a responsible citizen, you have a license to go out there and buy weapons. The part that you didn't cover in your article is what about weapons of war? Do you want to we should prohibit the sale of those in your in your uh, phase or or what?
1: Yeah, I don't think that. uh you know, the ultimate concept is safety. You know, so we want guns to make us feel safe. You know, and, you know, I mean, I don't want one, but that's why a lot of people want them. And so, you know, to protect your house, you know, from a burglar or whatever invading, um, you know, you probably need a small pistol. Uh, if you maybe a shotgun, the problem with these, you know, AR 15s, these high powered weapons, you know, isn't that they have, you know, magazines that shirt shoot 30 shots. The problem is the size of the bullet. I mean, these things are huge. They will go through three brick houses in your neighborhood. So you're trying to stop the guy that's getting in your backyard. Sure. Okay. Let's say you shoot him and you stop him and then it goes through, uh, it you goes know, through go, him and kills somebody else. It goes through the wall of your house, and it goes through the wall of, the you know, the two brick walls of the next house, and then it goes through the two brick walls of the next house. I mean, it's not the right tool for the job, you know. My I mean, question to you
0: like, then is, in as, in as much as you're saying this part is easy, there's a small fringe that I don't think would light the idea that I think you're coming to a conclusion of, and that is we probably shouldn't allow the sales of weapons of war like the AR-15.
1: Well, uh, just like, you know, every other tool that you buy at Home Depot, we need our tools to be safe. You know, we don't need them hurting people and, you know, that don't need to be hurt. I mean, yeah, I mean, you might want to shoot the burglar or whoever raped coming in your house, but, uh, you know, you can do that with just a small weapon. You know, right. uh, you don't need a weapon
0: that will, you know, penetrate a tank. <laughs> I think if, if people learn how to bifurcate the discussion, uh, as you did, you know, meaning, uh, you you still allow abstraction of owning a gun to some extent, but at the same time, you know, you have to say we won't allow you to own a bazooka or AR-15. I don't. I, I think that's a better sell once we get control away from the NRA. But we're coming up close on time uh, right now, uh, Tor. Sorry, so let me ask you to give me a quick one-minute closing statement here.
1: Yeah, ultimately, uh, it's not a legal fix. It's a cultural fix. You know, we need people to feel safe. We want—we don't want anybody to have guns, including the police or the military or the civilians. You know, we want a peaceful world where, you know, there's a horizontal democracy, one person, one vote, not some stranglehold on power like a, 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 which a republic is. You know, we need to move beyond our constitution. We need a better constitution. We need to fix our culture. You know, everything is south of the culture. You know, every, all kind of politics, economics, everything is a subset of culture. So that's the long-term goal is to change the culture. And, you know, and we're ahead of everybody else. I mean, it's easy enough to fix a culture in Sweden or Denmark where it's mostly monocultural. I mean, you know, we're ahead of the curve. We're multicultural, and that's a good thing. There's a lot of advantages to that. But, you know, there's, you know, the issues. And so uh, we have to fix those as we go along. And it's up to us because, you know, we are the world's leading multicultural, you know, mm-hmm. place. And so we got to do it. And here we are doing it.
0: Corey <laughs> Mercer, uh, thank you so kindly for having been on, on, on uh, Politics Done Right. And I tell you something, sir. That last, there you go, buddy. There you go. That's my group, Extinction Rebellion. That's what I'm doing now. I know that's what you are, brother. That last statement is present. Thank you so kindly, Terry. Cheers, mate.